On today's episode of the Building the Future podcast, I am back with Mr. Rick Davis, and we are discussing finding the power in you. If you'd like to learn more about Mr. Davis, you can check out episode number six. But today, we are talking all about you and how to learn and grow in this industry. Mr. Davis shares with us his experience and journey to get where he is at today and how you can use that information to build yourself as together we're building the future. This is the Building the Future podcast. I am your host, the Lumberjack, Brett Thorne. On this show, we explore topics including construction, building materials, real estate, remodeling, the housing market, industry news, new products and trends, technology, government, everything you need for building the future. Welcome back to the Building the Future podcast. This is your host, Brett Thorne, and today I am at the Northwestern Lumberman's Association's Expo South in Council Bluffs, Iowa. And I am sitting down with a very special guest. Anybody that's listened to my podcast before, you've heard me quote him more than once. You will recognize the name, but if you're new to the industry, this gentleman has over 30 years of experience. He's given more than 1,000 presentations, and he's written over 200 articles. With me today is the premier sales trainer, Rick Davis. <laughs> Thank you very much, Brett. I appreciate that. That's <laughs> nice of you to say, my friend. If you had a message to relay to a young person looking at this industry or looking at their future in general, what's a message you could give them? Um, you know, we were talking about that book, Grit, mm-hmm. off mic, right? And, and it's not just for me, for young people. It's for anybody. You can make this decision at any time, but, but this book, Grit, by Angela Duckworth, came out, and she tells the story about how we find grit, and is it innate? Can we cultivate it? And she tells great stories through studying uh, dropouts at West Point Academy. At West Point Academy, she opens her book and tells the story that if you want to get into West Point, you have to get straight A's, show extracurricular activity, write the perfect essay to get in, and on top of all that, you have to have a written recommendation from a member of Congress. You'd think that if you went through all that rigmarole to get into West Point, you'd never drop out. 25% can't hack the first couple of years. They can't hack the boot camp. They can't have the rigor of the discipline. And she wants to figure out why, and what she determines is it's grit. And what struck me is uh, her telling of a very popular parable. So as I retell this, I will tell you it's not my story, it's not her story. Nobody can claim this one anymore. It's in the public domain now. But it's the story of three men as working as bricklayers. And an observer walks up to one of them and says, what you working on, fella? And he looks at me and goes, what, what? Uh, I'm sorry, what can you do for you? He says, what are you doing? He goes, uh, my job, I'm putting some bricks down. What do you need, sir? He goes, nothing, I'm sorry to bother you. Have a great day. He goes, yeah, whatever. The guy walks around the corner of the same building and he sees another guy laying brick. And he says to him, what you working on, my friend? And he says, steps back and he says, oh, hey, how are you? He says, good, what you got going? He goes, I'm building a wall, it looks pretty good. What do you think? He says, it's a nice wall. 
And the guy says, it is a nice wall. The bricklayer says, yeah, I like it. It's, it's plumb, it's solid, it's good. He says, well, I won't keep you anymore. And then the observer walks to the front of the building and he sees another guy doing the exact same job. And he says, so are you building a wall here? And he goes, building a wall? He goes, no, sir, I'm doing something much different. What I'm doing right now is I'm finishing this side just to the left of me where an entryway will go. I'm putting the brick up and, and in just a few short weeks, we're going to be putting a doorway, an arch doorway just to the left of me, above which we're going to erect a steeple that points high to the sky. And I'm working on the building that in about two months, people will pass through to worship and pray. And that's what I'm doing. And it looks pretty good. What do you think? And the guy says, Boy, when you put it that way, it sure does. He goes, yeah. And the bricklayer wipes the sweat from his brow. He says, now let me get back to work. And the gentleman says, please do. The first guy had a job. The second guy had a career. And the third guy had a calling. And too often we think a calling comes from God. God can inspire it, but ultimately the calling comes from within. You have to hear it, you have to accept it, and ultimately you can choose it. And what you're doing, Brett, every day, your, your desire to, to build the future uh, through the Building the Future podcast, that's a calling. You can say it was inspired from the divine, or you can say you chose it, or maybe it's a little bit of both. But it's, it's a decision that you had to accept or make, or a calling you had to accept, call whatever you want, but it is a conscious decision we have to make to say, look, this is my purpose and this is what I do. And again, back to the building industry being so sexy, I'm living proof of it. I started out as an estimator and a kid that was scared and didn't know what he was going to do. And I was an apprentice chef and wasn't liking it. And I look what I've done and I look where I've gone. It's, it's, it's a calling for me and I feel very blessed by that. And I think for all of us, we can find that right here in this business. And it doesn't matter what the job is. It's how you choose to view the contributions you make. That is very valuable information. Anybody that's interested in that book, what was the name of it? It's called Grit. It's by Angela Duckworth. And to me, it's one of the top five books I've read in the last few years. I will make sure we get that in the show notes as well. Awesome. Awesome. That's a great story, Rick. That is really good story. You're inspired, right? You moved? It is. I mean, that's why I'm like, we got to turn the mic back on. I mean, that's something. How that's, can you not be? I don't know how. I, I'll get figure out getting it in there somehow. But gosh, that is just such a... And I had never heard that before. And it sounds like it's obviously been... It's been around. Been around a while now. I don't want to take ownership of it. That's why I really want to be careful. You know, I, <laughs> and I'm new to this. I mean, you've obviously been publishing words and publishing advice yeah. and, and information for years now. You know, it's like so when you're when, good at when, it. When, the day that you are on the podium speaking, Brett, what's going to happen is you're going to want to tell the starfish story. Oh, okay. Don't. Don't. Okay. <laughs> this, this, this is a joke. This is a joke of the National Speakers Association. And the story of the starfish is that there's a... There's a boy on the beach in a beautiful warm day as the sun has risen and a bunch of starfish have been thrust onto the shore of this ocean side, you know, beach and the night before. And so a little boy is walking down the beach and he picks one up and bends down and very cutely tosses it back in gently. And then he sees another one does the same thing. And he repeats this process over and over again. And an older man who happens to be a resident of the community walks down. He says, son, what are you doing? He goes, I'm putting the starfish back. 
because you're putting the starfish back. And the little boy says, uh-huh, yes, sir. And the man looks up and down the beach and he sees literally thousands, thousands of starfish that have been washed up on the shore. And the little boy looks at, you know, he says, he says, he looked up, you know, looks up at still these innocent eyes. And the man looks down and he says, son, I appreciate what you're doing, but with all these starfish, that little contribution can't possibly matter that much. And the little boy looks up at the man and with these innocent eyes, he looks down at one more starfish kind of struggling to, for life. And he picks the starfish up and he tosses that one gently in the shore and he said, into the water. And he says, it mattered to that one. That's the starfish story. <laughs> and it's funny, I heard a Hall of Fame speaker lecture about the starfish story. He says, how many of you told the starfish story? <laughs> and a bunch of us went like this. He goes, come on, raise your hands. And I'm not kidding. If there was 1,500 people in the room, a third to half of the hands went up. And I told it because I don't know it better. I was starting my career. And he goes, you can't tell the starfish story. The guy who invented the starfish story can't tell it anymore. That's like the parable of the, of the bricklayer. You can tell it, but you can't own it. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And yes. the starfish story, you can't even tell because everybody's heard it. Yeah, yeah. And now that you put it that way, I have heard that. I didn't and realize it was st- known as the starfish story. It's the starfish story. <laughs> yeah, made a difference to that heard. one. Yeah, made a difference to that one. Yeah. So as soon as somebody says there's a starfish, I'm like, oh, no, please. I want, I want to stop and say, don't do it. You're making a mistake. you got to resist. you got to resist. Don't do it. Don't. You can save yourself because your reputation is going to go downhill. <laughs> <As Now>, I <it. laughs> I will tell you that uh, as a speaker, one of the things that I've learned, and I'm proud to say this, um, everything's original everything. And people say, hey, have you read this book or that book? And I've I've read a lot of them. The reason I started to do what I do is, one, I felt that the body of work on sales training was emphasizing way, way too strongly the process of closing the deal. And that's really great if I'm selling a home improvement project for somebody, a new roof, a car, a timeshare, a mattress, an appliance. You close the deal and, and you move on. Although I don't think you should be manipulative and coercive, but that, that's just what happens. You just can't afford to do that in business to business selling. You can't beat up a professional builder who's a professional buyer and de- deals with this every day of their life. And so what I'm trying to help people see is that there's a different process we need to embrace and it's really about opening relationships. It's about recognizing that we, we have to keep going back. We have to live with these people that we start to, to work with. And I just felt that the body of work, including some of my heroes, I'm talking about Tom Hopkins, Zig Ziglar, uh, uh, Neil Rackham, who wrote Spin Selling. These are all great pieces of work. Uh, Brian Tracy, uh, the psychology of selling, which I think was just a lot of standardized everything else he'd heard from everybody else. But it's all valid. But I don't think it's real. And it's not wrong. But I really have been trying to help people choose a new path. So I'll give you two examples of that. Instead of the word qualifying, I prefer the word understanding. If you're my customer, my prospect, let me ask you this, Brett. Do you want to be qualified by me? You want me to qualify you to see if you're worthy of me? Or would you prefer that I understand you, know you, feel you, get what you're trying to accomplish, uh, figure out ways I can contribute to help you? That's understanding. 
Another one is I've never, I, I've, I've recently just shunned the term overcoming objections. Be, because one, you can't always overcome the objection. Sometimes people just have a feeling and you have to, you have to accept it. Two is you um, might be making a mountain out of a molehill. Sometimes people make just the most casual comment. And we, well, yeah, okay, uh, 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 but at least, uh, uh, we might be able to, I, I have to get, and it was just a casual comment. And if you had just said, as I did on a recent phone call working with my, my partner in my business, uh, who got a little, you know, uh, over you know, over-explained a question, I said, wait. I said to our client, no, we can't do it. We can do this possibly. I can show you how to use the system to do this. It was for my online learning platform. I said, but, but the, the report you're asking for doesn't exist right now. If we can get it one day, great, but I wouldn't want you to buy the product under those uh, conditions. He said, it's no big deal. I was just wondering. So this idea of, of overcoming objections, I prefer to replace with the term resistance. Yeah, you'll meet some resistance, but you don't have to meet it head on. You have to block it. This is my whole philosophy I write about in my book and I talk about all the time called Aikido Selling. Aikido is the martial art where you use your adversary's momentum to your advantage without doing them harm. So if they throw a punch, you can block it, and it hurts. If they try to kick you, you can stick out your form and go, Ugh, and it hurts because you're trying to block it. Or you can wave their fist out of the way. You can sweep their leg out from under them and catch them before they hit the ground and hurt themselves. And in that way, you're not fighting back. And uh, we do this all the time in our business. You know, sometimes we, um, here's the situation. You have an irate customer. You've had an irate customer, right? <laughs> yes. Maybe once or twice. Yeah, maybe once, maybe once, I yeah. can think of, yeah. <laughs> what, you tell me, what happens when you interrupt them? You cut them off when they're trying to tell you their frustration, their problem. What do they do? Just uh, fuels the fire. Fuels the fire, man. It escalates the whole problem. What happens when you just sit back and you let them vent and say, yes, sir, may I have another? What happens? They usually, maybe not immediately, but within time, they feel a lot better. And it's usually pretty quick. They, once they get that venting out, and you say, I'm sorry, yeah. and you, you listen. You know who else says, I'm sorry? Sometimes they do for yelling at you. And you know what they often do? They say, if, I'm, I'm sorry, it wasn't your fault. If you could just do X, and you know what X is? It's often a lot less than you thought it was going to be. Oh, yeah. Because you thought they were going to tell you to go fire that person that, that kicked them out, you know, whatever. No. So this is, this is a good example of how we don't need to fight force with force all the time. We have to overcome objection. We have to, we have to confront everything. And to me, again, that's really my philosophy of selling. That's why I do what I do. It's, it's truly, I'm going to use the word love. I use the word love in, in the process. You've got to love your customers. You've got to love your clientele. And if you can't work with the people that you feel that great feeling about, then the power is finding somebody you can. You know, prospecting is this idea where you sift through the chafe, you sift through the silt of the riverbed to find that good nugget. I think that's what prospecting is really all about. I'm an order taker. I'm an order taker. I, I just happen to take the right orders. <laughs> you know, people say, oh, so-and-so is an order taker. I'm one. But I say this, because if, if they give you the order, take it, right? But you've got to be looking for the right opportunities. Don't take the wrong order. So... Is that kind of the um, talks about the frustrated customer and stuff? Is that the mentality of the attendee at the lost luggage counter? Yes. Because <laughs> nobody that walks into that office is happy. That person that stands behind that counter has to be the most accepting and uh, humble individual to, 
to take that role. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because I, t- I told you they broke. I told you that, yeah, on the way here, yeah. that my luggage got broken by the airline. A yeah. brand new Samsonite bag I just bought. It was like 200 and some dollars. It was expensive. It's, it's, it's gunmetal something. It's got a metal thing, pull-but thing. And they broke it. And I'm thinking as I go to the airport today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention it to them and see what they say. I'm not going to yell at them because, you know, what? on the other side of the coin is it's a good thing to learn as a customer, too. Um, you know, the, the, the hive has the honey, but the bee has the sting. And if you want to get that honey, you got to share some love and be gentle. And I, I've learned that even as a buyer. It's a lesson I try to share. You know, people, people will buy from you the way you buy from others. So I try to buy nice so people buy nice from me. This is, this is all, this is, I told you about philosophy. This is all part of my philosophy of selling. And I think that um, it makes it a lot funner. It makes it... Um, more a more enjoyable experience for everybody and truthfully i think you get your better results is that one of the driving factors for what you do what do you mean by that what what is what the driving factor what you get out of it the the results why you i mean the the helping people the love the the oh yeah i'm i'm blessed i i get more positive feedback like you tell me that you quote me and you use stuff i I get more positive feedback than a human being deserves. But I'm a human being too, you know. I have my tough, my tough times and my tough days and I have to stop and meditate on all of it too and that we all need to. And if you just keep contributing, um, you'll find that it's very gratifying and, and that's what I always go back to. That's exactly what I always go back to. And, and the other thing is, and I have to say this again because we're talking about the sexy industry, the most gratifying thing for me is to learn, to learn and grow. Um, I'm an old guy now to most people in terms of age, but I don't feel old at all. I feel young, I'm energetic, I work out a lot, I do the triathlons, and I'm really trying to learn more about this business, about life, everything, every day, and I think that uh, that's, that's what I'm most proud of, and that's what I'm hoping that my calling is to inspire this in everybody I work with. What are the struggles? Um, you know, overpromising. Um, there's so much I want to do, um, things I can't do. You know, I've struggled with uh, electronics and getting my website the way I've never had a website the way I love it, but it frustrates me. I, I, you know, I told you about the podcasting. I want to get, I want to get into that. Those are struggles for me. Um, and you know what? It's I have to admit this that I get surveys. Like I had surveys from my one of my last events because my client likes to do the surveys. There were 70 people in the room. The surveys were over the top, and one or two people said it was only above average. Everybody else rated the program as excellent and all this other stuff. And it's hard not, this is not just my story. I think it's hard for all of us. It's hard not to give our energy to that negative situation while we forget all the other good stuff we did. And I think that's a life lesson that you have to really build on that, you know, you have to remember that that person who's so angry well, they might be angry, but it might not have anything to do with you. Uh, the thing that went wrong, maybe you did something wrong, but the reaction they had was maybe a little too much. As I said, there's no wood emergencies. So one of my struggles is to really just keep that positive focus in this very negative, tense world we live in today. And I don't think I'm usual, unusual in that regard at all. What advice would you have for me particularly in trying to get the message out they're trying to use this as a platform to spread the word that this is the sexy industry 
Uh, I will tell you, just keep doing what you're doing. And I'll tell you why I say that, Brett. I am not the best marketer, although I'm pretty good. Um, I do events like I'm about to do today because I know it gets the word out and people get to know me. But mostly I can tell you that success is about competence. And I firmly believe that competence rises, like cream rises, competence rises. And I think if you just keep doing this like you're doing it right now, you put good content out there, you do it with great intention, like I think you have with heart, with love, um, I think that the word will get out. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you what I got right now, man. This is, this is, these are the jewels, this, this is the A material. And I'm giving it to you because you, you give it away because the universe echoes and you'll get better energy from this. I'll get better energy from this. If somebody says, hey, I heard what this guy's got to say. I don't need him anymore. Great. Go and grow, man. Just do what you're doing. Just give the content. The content is everything. The content is everything and never stop growing. You're going to hear me today. And whatever you've heard from me say before, you're going to hear maybe a couple of those things repeated. And then you're going to hear some new stuff and say, man, where did that come from? Because after 35 years in this business, after 20 years as a thought leader delivering sales training ideas and leadership ideas uh, for a profession and for an industry, I'm constantly rethinking it. I'm almost embarrassed what I'm delivering today, not because of what I'm delivering today, but why didn't I deliver this 10 or 15 years ago? How did I miss this? You, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And I think you're going to discover the same thing on your path. I think you're going to find out, and anybody listening to this is going to find out the same thing that you know, what, what you can grow and evolve to is, is beyond your dreams and beyond your expectations. If you would have told me as a kid who struggled through college and paid his expenses 100% of the way and only took classes because they interested him and had no career direction at that time that I'd be doing this today, I, I, wouldn't, I would have bet against me. <laughs> <laughs> I would have bet a lot against me. Um, but I can tell you that the people universally, the one difference I can see between Greatness in mediocrity is a passion for growth and learning. You can, you can rise to the top and get a job, and somebody can be mistaken about your credentials. And we've got a lot of people in this world that, you know, I don't have to get too deep on this one. A lot of people in this world that probably don't deserve to be where they are. But the people that really bring the heat, really bring the contributions, really grow, really bring the content, whatever it is, the competence, uh, those people usually get the, the, to be where they they deserve to be. Yeah, so you're inspired, yeah? You're speechless. Oh my gosh. You know, and, <laughs> and, and I've been, the podcast, this is something I've been working on for oh, well over a year now. The initial thought came in just as I was, like I said, I'm a consumer of them myself, and I just thought, you know, our industry could really use some of this. And when I sat down and really kind of started penciling this out on paper last year, yeah, it was probably... I don't know, late last spring, early summer or something. I thought, okay, let's start really putting some stuff in, see if I can put together a plan of action here, see if this is even feasible. When I started thinking about how do I attack this, what do I bring to the market, um, my objective was to key in on the people, the products that are in the market doing the things. And your name was the very first one on my list. It really was. Because of how moving you've been and influential you've been, even in the short times that I have sat through with the MLA event and the LDI event that Do It Best put on, I, I, your message has always resonated. 
and your passion has always resonated with me. And it is, it's a, a spark, I think. Would you like to know why I took the opportunity to be on your podcast? Yes, I'd love to. I asked you a couple questions yesterday. I said, who's your, who's your audience? Who are you targeting all that? I wasn't concerned about reach. I didn't care how many people you knew. I would say, hey, is this going to get my name out to hundreds of people? What's the purpose? What's the goal? What's the mission? And it was, it was about building the future. And you just said, I just want people, you were so focused on what you wanted people to get from this that I thought, I'm in. If you had said, well, I'm trying to build a career and I really want to launch this, I'm trying to get, I would have said, yeah, let me talk more about it. But, but that was not it at all for you. And I thought, that's what I wanted to hear. And that's going to take you a long way. It's got me a long way. Well, thank you. And that's the vision, comp- that's the goal here. It's going to take your company a long way too. I, I think that you'll, you know, you'll build a great team of people. And by the way, that's what you should do also. This is another piece of advice for anybody listening in. They always say, how'd you get to do what you do today, Rick? And I say, well, I guess I just started doing it and practicing. I don't want to say I started practicing on somebody else's dime. Because that would infer that I wasn't given my all. I was given more than my all. I've lived, Zig Ziglar changed my life. And if your listeners have never heard of Zig Ziglar, you need to dig him up and see if you can find a copy of the C with the Top series, which is virtually the greatest motivational series of audio that's ever been recorded. C with the Top. And Zig Ziglar, in his beautiful southern draw from Yazoo, Mississippi, said, Do more than you're paid to do and soon you will be paid more for what you do. And I have lived by that for a long time. I do more than I'm paid to do, always, because in the end, you get rewarded. And this is a tough leap of faith for people to make. This, again, gets back to you get in, you get out what you put in, right? I always break up performers down into three categories in the business. You've got your vacationers, prisoners, and contributors. Vacationers just got a job and they're collecting the checks and they annoy the, they annoy the prisoners because the prisoners actually care. I actually prefer the prisoners more than the vacationers because the prisoners are bitter about something. And if I can find out what they're bitter about and solve that problem, they will be better contributors. And the contributors are the people that are really the shakers and the groovers that are making the changes. And, um, you know, for me, um, I don't get a chance to do this. I've never recorded this, but I'm going to do it with you. I... I can honestly say that um, it's just been this drive to learn and help and contribute. And I wish this for you. That's, and that's what got me on this path is that is you get more ensconced in your company, your family business, practice, build uh, leadership qualities, build a team, make this your mission. Um, just be great at that. It's, it's important. I have a three, two-person organization. And, and my wife, who has her own business, but is the CFO. So I guess we have three people, two and a half to three people. One of the things I'm most proud of in my entire career is I built a job for a woman who has come on, has now worked for me for 10 years, Elise Herman. Today, she is the Director of Important Stuff. That's her title. I like that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I said, I got to promote the, you again. That's got, Rick Davis. That's all Rick I mean, just from the, read through your website and your, <laughs> yeah, your, your, your monologue on yourself and everything, I'm like, yep, that's all you. <laughs> yeah, I got to have humor and have fun with it. But, but I said, I got to make you director. She says, well, what am I the director? I'm like, nah, you take care of the important stuff. And she giggled. She said, I like it. It's on her card, you know. But it's one of the most proud things I've ever accomplished is, is that I actually created a job, 
Politicians say, oh, we're going to create jobs. No, you're not. You don't do anything. You, you shuffle money and you know, collect lots of donations. I created a job and I put this woman on her feet. And I, I shouldn't say do. I gave her the opportunity to put herself on her feet, to build something for herself. And, and that's leadership. You know, and that's, that's what I wish for, again, for the, your listeners, is that they recognize that everything's practice. Everything's a test. This is what I wrote in my latest book, Sales Economics. It's about situational performance, whether it's situational leadership, situational selling. What's the situation? What's the optimum performance? And learn from that. And that's what's really um, helped me become successful in what I do. And I think why people, why the message resonates, you know? I'm rambling, but I think it's good. No, this is, this is amazing. I mean, this is what it's all about right here. <laughs> it's, a, it's a communication. Well, what's next for you, Rick? I mean, uh, you, you're on a great path here. I mean, and you've touched it, so many people, myself included. We got a guy in this business named Walter Foxworth, a Foxworth Galbraith. Mm-hmm. Walter's got over 50 years in the business. He's in his 80s. He plays tennis. I know. Um, what's next for me is um, I... I definitely want to keep going at least for 10 more years in this business. Part of me wants to at least continue contributing until I'm 75. That would give me 50 years in this business. Um, I would like to make that, and uh, that's what's next. I, I will tell you what's also next for me, and I say this humbly because I want people to hear this. I, I lecture on this now, and the process we go through of building a career from a job to a career and how we evolve into leadership and then administrative roles but what people don't recognize is, in the end, you're going to want to live a legacy. People don't know this, especially when you're young. And I can forgive it when somebody's young, but once you start hitting 35, 40, or not even that, but 45, 50, you need to start thinking about your legacy. And the sooner you do think about your legacy, I think the sooner you become more accomplished in the present. Um, so what's next for me is, and I want to say this not in a way of fame, but in a way of contribution. I, I want to leave my legacy, and I want my legacy to be remembered as something that was really helpful, beneficial. Ain't nobody gonna remember the money. Ain't nobody gonna remember you know, how big the company was or anything like that. They're gonna remember how you made them felt and what you contributed. And so what's next for me is, is really at this stage of my life is um, building that legacy with as many people as I can in a message that for you, like you, and people that have said, man, you really moved me on this or that. And that's really what I want to try to try to do. That's really what's next. And I heard you mention triathlons. And I know you said you worked out this morning. I did. And you want to hear this? This is great. I'm a millennial. Because every time I do one, they give me a medal. <laughs> Where they came you get a first. participation award? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah right yeah. I don't care if I came in first or last. They give me a medal. I love that, right? Yeah, participation awards. Everybody I, gets I'm one. working this year. My, uh, my big goal for this year is to do my second half Ironman, which is a one and a quarter mile swim, a uh, 56-mile bike ride, followed up by a half marathon, which is 13.1 miles. It'll be the second time I've done it. The first time I did it, I, it took me over seven hours. Um, I finished in my age group third from last, and I couldn't be prouder. You finished. I mean, how many don't finish? I finished it. Yeah. Well, no, it's not, that, it's not how many don't finish. Because most of the time, most of the people who get to the race finish it, how many don't start the training? How many don't start that first step? How many don't? Yeah. How many never make it to the yeah, race? Yeah, it, it's a lifestyle. That was my tip of the day yesterday. I sent out Dell's business. Do you get my business tips, right? I do. I sure do. My business tip yesterday was, you know, it's not an event. It's the habits we cultivate. Mm-hmm. That was the tip yesterday. So the triathlons 
And it helps me keep the habits. I saw a video of myself about six or seven years ago, and I thought, I don't know who that fat guy is, but I don't like the way he looks. <laughs> and that was me. <laughs> so I decided I, I got to do something about that. And so uh, it's, it's not about finishing some event. It's about the practice of being around people, the team, I, the team I ride with. I ride with a group of people. I belong to a club. We work out together. We ride bikes together. We go on trips together. Uh, we talk about nutrition together. And, you know, it's who you hang out with. And it, it, it helps you cultivate a lifestyle. And I still have my great friends, and I still am not afraid to drink a whiskey here and there and uh, have a great time and enjoy some good food. But, but part of it for me is, is hanging out with the people that, uh, that help me keep fit because I think, I think we're all going to live a long time now. You know, when I was born, you lived to 65. I'm going to live a long time, and I want to be as healthy as I can. So that's why I do the triathlons. Do you think this, and this is something I've noticed, and this is just my personal opinion, and I think maybe just from viewing it, do you think our, our I know we've talked a little bit about the millennials, the younger generation, it seems to me they're a little more health conscious. You know, they're a little more concerned about the, the food and the, and the medicines they're putting in their body. I mean, would you relate to that? I mean, I, I was born in the 70s, late 70s, and I know that, you know, that was when processed foods were becoming a big thing, and it had been for a while, but, you know, everybody, that's what it was. And now I see these younger generations, and they seem to be very health conscious. You know, they're very active, and I'm like, you know, these people are really going to live a long time. <laughs> it, it's an interesting time we live in. I don't want to be political, um, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the coming years because we've got a lot of old people running the country and the world, and a lot of young people waiting for their chance to make some change. And this is not new. This is always the way it is, but... But there's a lot of challenges right now, a lot of processed food, a lot of people on the planet. Um, you can say what you want about climate change. It is changing. And you can say, I don't care, and I'm ignoring it or not. That's up to you. That's fine. But there's a lot of young people, I agree with you, that are more conscious about it. And, and, and my point here is not to make any political statement or get me irritated hearing this. My point is to recognize that the mindset of the people that you're trying to bring into this business might not be your mindset. And you need to cater to that. And you need to understand what's driving and motivating. Because I do think one other difference between young people and older people is our younger generation is seeking a little different purpose in what they do. And not that they all seek the same. It's not fair to them. It's not fair to every individual. So oh, you're all alike. You know, that's the problem with Oh, millennials, you're all the exact same. You're lazy and you want awards and all the other stuff. I've met enough millennials. And you, and you know what I found out, Brett? A lot of them are very similar to human beings. <laughs> Pretty close resemblance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I, think you're, I, I think to your point, um, health conscious, uh, environmentally aware, whatever it is, I think, yeah. And again, without, I'm not trying to stir political conversation. No, not at all. I just, I, just, I, I'm just trying to say, yeah, I think you better tap into that because they're not thinking the way you think. Yeah. And by the way, embrace the heck out of that. I love it. You'll, you'll, you'll see, you've seen me. I'm going to be in a room in about 45 more minutes, and I'm going to say something. Somebody's going to disagree with me. I'll say, I love it. Why? And like, what? Why do you disagree? Well, they didn't expect that, right? Because I'm not right always. I got to hear what they've got to say. I was in a room two weeks ago, and I got an idea. I'm like, oh, man, that's really good. And people started chuckling. I said, you know my answer I just gave a minute ago? No, write that one down. That one's even better. It was an idea about bid avoidance, about you know, not, not rushing to bid. I always say, tell people you're going to be too high, and here's what you need to know. You've heard me talk about bid avoidance. I'll talk yes. about it again today. Don't bid, folks. Slow down. You know, Don't bid blindly. One guy said, he said, well, the first thing I say to my customer when they won't meet with me and they want me to give them a price before we've ever met, I say to them, is that how you sell to your customers? 
I thought that was pretty good. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, exactly. Turn around and make them think about it from the, the alternate And so I said to the go, well, whatever I said, you better strike that out and write that thing down because that was even better. <laughs> right? Yeah. We've got Continue to, to hear. You know, when I deliver my message, I'm proud to tell you this. I, I, I'm giving you 35, I'm giving you, you know, all my life experience. But what you're really getting is hundreds of years of experience because I'm willing to listen and hear what everybody else is bringing to the table. And nobody in this world's got time to make all the mistakes them, themselves. You better listen to the ideas of other people. And once again, these young people have knowledge and ideas. What we're missing right now in this business is we've got these veterans that have all this knowledge, human experience, transactional experience, things that go right, things that go wrong, this interactive, and young people that have a lot more um, electronic experience, modern communication capabilities, a new value system, and, and the power is in melding these. And I think we're missing that. We got, you know, the young people, oh, they're not listening to me because they're not. And then old people, oh, you don't know, I'm trying to tell you and teach you the wisdom of my years and the ways. And instead of listening to each other, so to your point, um, are they more, your questions, are they more um, health conscious? I don't know if I can say that across the board, but what I can say is there's certainly a different mindset that we need to tap into, uh, people my age need to tap into, and vice versa. Don't dismiss a guy as old as me and say, well, this guy, he's old, I gotta go with the, the young and the new. We gotta listen to each other. You got any ideas on how we bridge that gap to get those veterans with the information and the knowledge and then the, the younger generations with the technology and the, the modern skills to work together? I do. What are those? If you go to improv theater, they teach you something. It's called the yes and. If we do improv and I say, oh my gosh, the spaceship's coming. It's going to be landing any minute now. And you say, it looks like it could be from planet Zork. And I'll say, oh yeah, that's why there's a Z on the side of it. You say, wait, I think it's an S. And you're right. I say, yes, look at that S cargo. We go back and forth on this. It's yes and, yes and. If I say, there's a spaceship coming from plant, coming down, it's going to land any second now, and you're going to say, I don't think that's a spaceship. You cut off the improv. You blocked my chain of thought. In improv, they teach you to keep going with it. Yes and, yes and, yes and. It's a powerful practice in communication. Yes, keep going with that. Yes, go. Stop interrupting so much. That's my answer. We, we, need to, we need to hear what people say. Yes, go on with that. And at the end of it, you can say, I don't know if I agree. Okay. But we've, we've heard it through. Again, with Elise, who I mentioned, my director of important stuff, we've reached a point where she'll say, I feel very much involved in this business. And I'll listen to what she's got to say, and I'll listen, and I'll say, I don't agree, but here's why. And she'll say, oh, I agree with that. Or sometimes I'll say to them, she says, well, I like this wording better. I'm like, me too. We're constantly listening to each other, and I think that's the gap. It's just it, listening, 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 listen, listen. Rick, thank you again. Thank you, Brett. Rick, before I let you sneak away, do you have any final thoughts or comments to offer the listeners? I have proof, and you do not need to go very far. I had a group of people, I would say it was about 40 managers or so in for a client of mine 
regional VPs, branch managers, regional sales managers. There was about 40 of them in the room. And as an exercise prior to having them in the room, I wanted to send out a questionnaire because it's a new client. I didn't know these people. Uh, we're launching a, a huge initiative. So I wanted to get some feedback. I asked them to fill out a questionnaire. There was five simple questions. The last one was, share a little bit about your background. 40 managers in the room. Some of them had been in the business for 40 years, some 15, some 12, some 20. And virtually every one of them wrote something like, I started out driving a truck. I started out working in the yard 26 years ago. Um, I took the job out of high school. Uh, I, I got the job because I wasn't doing anything else and I started out working the counter. These are now captains of our industry. I was with uh, a local, um, Bob Egan of Lampert's Lumber, uh, part of the NLA, um, before they were purchased by USLBM. I sat with Bob, who's the president of the company. I said, how'd you start in this business, Bob? Started out sweeping a floor. I can go on and on and on with these stories. I don't know any other industry that offers you that. There's living proof that you can start out sweeping a floor, driving a truck, working the counter, and in just a few short years make a six-figure income and accumulate huge wealth, all while contributing to the building of this great country. That is solid gold. Right on. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Thank you. This is the Building the Future podcast. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe. Please like and share. You can find out more at our website, www.buildingthefuturepodcast.com. Together we are building the future.